So, um, what I'm going to talk about today is, um, is very uh, serious, um, very personal to me as well. Um, but uh, I wonder whether you uh, have ever been in an interview and you've been asked that most difficult question, what is your greatest achievement? That is a really difficult question to answer, isn't it? I actually have to confess, I like interviews. I quite enjoy interviews. I see it as a, a contest of wills, especially if it doesn't matter too much. It's quite fun. Um, contest of wills, a way to eloquently answer tricky questions and delicately thread that balance between uh, showing off and not seeming like a braggart. As a Christian, I probably shouldn't be uh, proud of the fact that I can show off quite well, um, but it's something that can be quite useful. And it's very difficult because this, this world, it's what it, we're taught by this world to do, to show off your strengths and to hide your weaknesses and vulnerabilities. We know that this in itself showing off your strengths, boasting about your strengths and hiding your weakness has actually created a lot of mental health issues. Um, and that's what I do with in our well-being classes in school. And this is especially true among men. Um, I know it's true among women as well, but it's especially true among men who have been taught all their lives to not show any weakness, not talk about emotion, emotional issues. And uh, someone scoffed at the idea that I said, uh, well, Women's, uh, International Women's Day was fairly recently, and I, I suggested, well, what about International Men's Day? And someone scoffed at the idea. And then I listed all of the ways in which men actually need help. The number of male suicides uh, are three out of four worldwide, and even higher when it comes to kind of uh, very emotionally um, uh, repressed societies. So, um, this is about being vulnerable, and the Bible repeatedly warns us against this thing, this, this most danger of sins, which is pride. In fact, uh, despite society teaching us to, and training us to boast and to show off, we still know that there is something very wrong about it. In fact, modern society has taught us to turn it into a bit of an art. Um, I wonder whether you've heard the term humble brag. That's a, that's a fairly new term. Um, oh, I went to this. I was I was I looked terrible at that award ceremony I went to last night. It's just a little humble brag, you know. I'm having such problems with my second car. It's such a hard time to clean my large house. Um, and there's other ones, like, uh, I don't know whether you've heard this term, virtue signaling. This is much more about companies. Our company has championed and is announcing our new policy on racism, despite the fact that we've never had any racist incidents before or never had any complaints. We are championing the fight against racism and announcing our new policy. So they are showing off about something that was never a problem and uh, it's a way of boasting about how good they are. 
Pride is with us even if we don't realise it. And it's the root of many, many sins. We, we know better than the law. We know better than others. We are better than those. Now the men will laugh at this because I bring this up you know, fairly often. Speeding. Yeah, breaking the law. Well, it's because I know what's safe. I know what's safe. The government, I know better than the government. I know better than those people who made the law. Every time I break the law, the traffic laws, the parking laws, that might challenge a few people and myself, unfortunately. <laughs> okay, and when we gossip, rarely is it about talking about the welfare of somebody else. More often it's, did you hear what she said? Or do you know what he did? Ha <laughs> ha, look at us, we're better than him. Because it's pride, isn't it? It's putting ourselves above them. Aren't we better than them? That is... At the root of it all, it's just pride. In today's passage, we're going to be uh, looking at this and alongside it, the dire warnings that Jesus gives that go along with it. So if you've got your Bibles, please turn to uh, Mark chapter 9. We're continuing our series on, on Mark. So Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 30. Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 30. And when you've got there, look up and give me a smile. We are in the ESV version, if you've got uh, digital devices, so you can change between versions. But you should be able to follow along anyway. So Mark chapter 9, verse 30. They, that means the disciples, went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he, Jesus, did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples and saying to them, The Son of Man... That's Jesus' name from, uh, from da- the book of Daniel, the, the label given to the Messiah. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. Why were they afraid? Again, it's pride, isn't it? They don't want to look silly. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they were silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and and called the twelve. And he said to, to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name received, receives me, and whoever receives me receives not, but, uh, not me, but him who sent me. John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterwards to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, 
It would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame with two feet, uh, than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than two eyes to be thrown into hell. Where there are their worms do not, uh, does not die and fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt loses its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourself and be at peace with one another. Let me pray. Father, as we come to your word, these difficult, challenging words, we pray that you do challenge us and you change us. You give us the bravery, the boldness, the patience, the persistence, and constant reminders as we are so weak and so easily to forget just to become more like you because of what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, Amen. Now, it's quite a long passage, but despite this and its many threads, most of it is about, in fact, all of it is about the same theme, and that's pride, as I said before. We see in verse 30 to 32, um, the disciple, Jesus has been telling the disciples, um, again and again we've seen, um, that he is going to die. He's going to suffer a terrible death, and he's going to be taken away from them. But the disciples just don't get it. And normally we, we would kind of uh, laugh just at how silly they are, just how kind of stubborn they are, and yes, we are the same. But in this case, I would say that I can't really blame the disciples. You see, just before this passage, what uh, Billy talked about two weeks ago and what Eric talked about last week, the transfiguration. Jesus appears, and then alongside Jesus appears Moses and Abraham. Can you imagine how amazing that is? And obviously the, 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 the big three, the, the John and James and Peter, who had been with Jesus, they're going to be raving about it. And they're going to be talking about it. What did they look like? Did they look like the statues? I don't know whether the, the Jews had statues of Moses and Abraham. Did they look like the picture? They wouldn't have photos, but they might have portraits, they might have descriptions. How long were their beards? You know, were they tall? Did they carry themselves in the presence? What did, they, what did they sound like when they spoke? Can you imagine how Moses spoke? Well, he was supposed to be timid, but he also spoke with the authority of God. And Elijah, how amazing would that be? And so they, they would be gushing about it. Imagine you're, if you got a chance to meet the two greatest figures in history, in your history, in the history of your country, 
If you imagine if, uh, if you're British, then it would be maybe Winston Churchill and Elizabeth I. Or if, it was, uh, if you're American, it would be Abraham Lincoln uh, or someone like you know, George Washington or you know, people like that. Who I don't know who your idols are. But you'd be gushing about it and you'd be talking about it. And obviously the, the three who met them would be kind of just puffing up with a little bit of pride. And obviously the, the, uh, then it would come round to, well, it's obvious why we were chosen. And they would start arguing about who's the greatest. Now Jesus knows what they're arguing about, despite them asking him asking. And you can imagine the awkward silence when he says, what were you discussing? They're like looking at their feet and they're not really wanting to meet Jesus' eyes because they know that what they're arguing about is probably quite embarrassing. And perhaps Jesus is waiting and hoping one of them will tell them the truth. Because these are his closest disciples, his closest followers, his closest friends. He's probably hoping that one of them will come forward, be brave enough to tell them the truth. I mean, sometimes that's why I think Peter was chosen first, to be first, because he was the one who was usually unafraid, but not this time. Yes, Jesus knows what they're arguing about and no matter how subtle they were, he can tell. Now, at this point, we have to put it into the context of history. Um, At this time, children are seen to be the lowest in society. To put it into context, Roman children weren't even recognised as human beings or have value of life until they were the age of one. And I was, I, as I toured around some Roman establishments, they sh- showed that the, there would be kind of like drawers that could be shoved under beds, but they'd just put a baby here, just shove it under the bed. Okay, doesn't matter whether it dies or not because it's not properly a human. Uh, I once read an article about which credited, this was by a, a, a non-Christian, credited, it credited Christianity with the care that we now take over children. But it seems that our society has almost gone too far in the opposite direction. Children are raised on a pedestal and placed at the most important place in society. Well, as the eldest, those who've worked all their life and perhaps have earned that place are, and probably have the right to be honoured, are often ignored or stashed away, put out of sight. So we do have a different view on children nowadays. But in those days, children were the lowest in society, the ones to be ignored, the ones to be put out of the way, the ones who definitely didn't have a say. Now, even today, if you deal with children, and many of us here do, you know what a thankless task that is. Dealing with children, how often will they thank you for cleaning up after them or you know, chauffeuring them to their friend's party or looking after them all that time staying up waiting for them to come home you see it's not for rewards that we look after children it's no accident that many ministers their first job the first job they're given is to the youth work because it's humbling work 
You have to hone your craft if you want children to listen to you because they're very, very quick to tell you that they're bored or if you're talking too slowly or if you're talking too loudly or if you look funny or you smell funny or they need the toilets, uh, the list goes on. I'm not saying there's not a few scars there. It is a humbling experience, dealing with children, looking after children. It is service. You learn, and I'm sure parents, this is something I'm not sure I could cope with, but there's sleepless nights. A few parents are nodding here. The sleepless nights, that is service. Serving children is that humbling experience. And it does away with pride. It, it helps us to deal with our pride. I've told you before, I had a friend who was incredibly competent and worked in a very high-flying uh, high uh, company. Uh, but when she had her first child, she kind of fell apart. She had a bit of a mental breakdown. Just because she couldn't cope with the chaos that that child brought. And those of you with two or three children, probably smiling because that's one child <laughs> wait until you have two or three and I've seen the difference with one of my best friends who I'm godfather to his three children the difference between having two girls where everything was really well ordered and the girls were you know chirpy and you know, bright to having the third and all of a sudden every you know you deal with two and then the third one goes off and does also and that, that third one is a boy and, and we know the boys can be can be a little bit more certainly the third boy is, is more willful. Yes, it's, this is what Jesus is saying, is we should serve. If, if we are devoting our life to Christ, we should serve the lowliest in society. Maybe not the children, could be the poor, could be the rejected, those who are lost. That's what Jesus is asking of us. And it's true in this next scene as well. John talks to Jesus, and John, he's one of the special ones, isn't he? He and his brother James were called one, uh, how do I pronounce this? Oneges. I'm sure someone will uh, kind of correct me on that. But it means sons of thunder. Now, that's a brilliant name. I would love that. Maybe if I have children, I'm going to name them. <laughs> thunder and lightning or something like that that would be brilliant okay but never mind about that but sons of thunder they were that was their title not just their name their their title given to them by jesus sons of thunder so but john comes in and says to jesus teacher we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us and he gives his motivation, uh, motivations away just there, doesn't he? Because he was not following us. It's not about following Jesus. It's about following us. He's not part of our gang. He's not contributing to our glory, making our fame, our power greater. In fact, he, in some ways he's taking away from him, them. And that stings John and the disciples, the rest of the disciples. 
That would have stung because if you look just earlier in this chapter, the disciples had failed reading from verse 17. Just pop, have a quick look up to verse 17. It says, someone from the crowd answered them, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast him out and they were not able. And that stings because this other person who is not part of their gang, not part of their crowd, has cast out demons and they were unable to. So perhaps out of envy, perhaps out of her pride, well definitely out of her pride, John is bringing this to Jesus. And how do we react when we see other Christians having the success that we don't, being able to convert many, being elevated to a higher position. How do we react when we see other churches overpouring with membership or buying the latest drum kit, guitar, a new auditorium for their church, having all sorts of kind of uh, media set up, video cameras, how do we feel about that? Well, if we listen to Jesus, we should celebrate. Because what they're doing is in Jesus' name. Now, there is a difference, obviously, if we have concern for Paul's teaching. But if their success is in, in declaring the name and glory of Jesus, we should be glad and we should celebrate. Jesus says here, do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able to soon afterwards speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. And so he puts John and his pride, his hurt pride in his place. So we have to guard our hearts against envy, which at the root of envy and jealousy, that is our pride speaking. It's something that we may not realize, but if we are envious of somebody, if we're jealous of somebody, we have to look at our motivations and realize that usually, almost in fact always, it is our pride. And we should definitely measure our reaction when others succeed as Christians, others succeed in Jesus' name. Now, Jesus ties up the chapter with this very severe warning against hell because ultimately that is where pride will take us. If we follow this route of pride, the wide road, it leads to hell. To the many who say, we know better. To the many who say, we don't need anyone. To the many who say, we don't need a saviour. Bristling with pride, I don't need a saviour. To the many who will say, we'll get there on our own. Or, I'm okay without your help, I don't need your help. It's often the, it's pride that gets in the way of them becoming Christians. And it's humility 
allowing Jesus to save us, realising that Jesus died for us, that allows us as Christians to submit to the authority of Christ and admit to our need for a saviour. And we have to continue to do that. Firstly, to look at the destination of heaven. That is where we're going. That is what we're living for. And how we got there, which is looking back at the cross and coming to our knees and realising that is how we got there. Or that is how we're getting there. It's both, isn't it? How we've got there already. We've had that promise. And how we're getting there in becoming refined. Now, I was warned a few years ago, uh, back in my school in London, when I was running the Christian forum there, the Christian meeting, I was running, uh, warned by other Christians that I should not mention hell. But if we're following that well-known phrase, um, sorry, um, what would Jesus do? It's very unbiblical, isn't it? See, Jesus is very clear here. That is the other destination. I went for a walk with Eric this week and he asked me, um, what, is, uh, what is my view on hell? Uh, we had a nice, uh, East Ladang is great for walking around, by the way. You know, it's, and in, in between, they've got all these little sculptures and these little fountains. Uh, I wish it was just cool enough most of the time just to go and sit by the fountains, but unfortunately not. And there's mosquitoes. Um, but East Ladang is amazing for walking around and, and Eric and I went for a walk this week and discussing things. Uh, nice light topics like hell. Um, so Eric asked me the obvious question. Because uh, I've been challenged, well, slightly differing on views on some things. But he asked me what my opinion on hell was. Now, there's not that much about what hell looks like in the Bible. And at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether the ideas of fire and brimstone and a lake of sulfur whether it's a metaphor or whether they will actually go and jump in uh, this lake of fire. It's clear that it's a terrible place and that it has an absence of God and all the good things that God has provided for us. Friendship and love, relationships, other people, bacon sandwiches. The laughter of little children, sunrises, all those good things God has provided us will not be in hell. And again, it's, this is where it ties in when we say we know better, that, that we think we know what's best for us, and we cling on to the things that are not good for us. This is the sermon that I gave... Uh, three weeks ago, when we throw a tantrum because we want to hold on to those things that we think are so precious in this life, forgetting of where we are going and what the potential other place is. It's pride that blocks that, thinking that we know better, that we know how to be righteous or uh, what is better for us. That we can hold on thing to things that may well take us down that path, may endanger our salvation. You see, Jesus wasn't talking about a literal eye or a hand here, otherwise 
history would probably be full of prophets and saints who were blind or armless. He's not talking about literally taking, that's quite a horrible thought, a knife and cutting off a hand like that guy in that movie or gouging out an eye. I remember once my mum asking me to stop doing something because she was afraid that uh, it would interfere with my studies and she thought it was an ungodly thing. I've talked about it in the past. Yes, it did get in the way of my studies. Yes, it was something that was very important to me. At the time, I actually thought, this is something I'm really good at. This is something that makes me who I am. This is part of me. I wonder whether you recognize that statement, either in yourself or you've heard it in others. This is part of who you are. This is part of who I am. This thing defines me. And increasingly, we hear that in people. It could be their job or the way they flirt with people, their character. We know we hear it about people in their sexuality. They get very aggressive. This is who I am. Or their gender identity. It could be simple things such as their hobby. Or the way that they go for a drink with their friends every night or every once a week. This is who I am. This is part of who I am. You have to accept me for who I am. This is my identity. Why should I change that? I can't change that. It's who I am. What will you do if you realize that thing that you hold dearest to you, the thing that you think is part of your character, the thing which you think makes you who you are, is also causing you to be sinful and getting in that way of that relationship with God? Now, if you've ever experienced that, and I would be surprised if anyone here who calls themselves a Christian for any good amount of time has not experienced this because God puts those things on our hearts and our minds and he makes us way well this thing is sinful and it's not productive to us and our relationship with God to give up that thing that is very much we think is part of us is like gouging out an eye, is like cutting off an arm. It's that painful. I gave up a couple of things in my life. It came down to a very big decision and I had to cut it completely out. And I have no doubt that some, there will be more things that I will have to cut out, like gouging out an eye and cutting off an arm. You feel the loss, you feel lesser without it. And if you hurt, well, that is your pride speaking. I've learned over the years that is the thing that hurts the most, often hurts the most, is when your pride, 
you, you, uh, you are being brought low because of your pride. That thing that made you feel greater or feel whole because it's something you enjoyed or something that you thought you were good at. God is ask, yeah, often asking us to cut it out. God who sacrificed something infinitely greater and think on that what he sacrificed asks you this just small thing of you and I want you to remember that image I gave you three weeks ago about that child who will be clinging onto that toy and throwing that tantrum I don't want to go home this is where I am supposed to be with this fluffy cuddly thing this is us with the things that we hold on to so dearly it hurts it really does hurt when we cut these things out and sometimes we think actually these can be quite good things and we're a little bit unsure as to why God is asking us to cut out but we know that it's something that interferes with our relationship with God and God is asking for that and I do believe that God will bless us if we do these things for him, we sacrifice these things for him. Not in the way that prosperity gospel says we're going to be blessed with riches and wealth and happiness. Um, but God will put things in place in return if we choose to sacrifice these things for him. But even if he didn't, in the long run, we have the most important blessings. We have eternal life. Eternal life with him. And eternal life adopted into his family. And into this family. So, my final statements are. Be warned about pride. The Christian life that God calls you to is one of service. Be warned about pride. Celebrate the achievements and successes of our brothers and sisters. And if we are jealous or envious, look at our own motivations. Be warned about pride. Be prepared for God to ask you to give up what you hold most dear. The thing that you think is part of who you are that makes you special. God could ask you to give that up. Because nothing should come before God. Bringing low that pride that is the most painful thing. Uh, being, bring, being brought low by pride can be and will be the most painful thing you will do in your whole life. I speak from experience because several times, the most difficult time in my life I can recognize was because God was dealing with his pride and it's still dealing with my pride. Let me pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you that you are a loving Father who is so patient with us and despite sacrificing the greatest of sacrifices, your son Jesus, to die on the cross, the most painful death in history on the cross, and our sin being borne by him and taking the punishment for him, 
we still hold on to things that we think are good for us. We still hold on to the idea that we know better. We still hold on to things that interfere with our relationship with you. And we pray that you are, are gent gentle in prying those things from our hands. But we help us when we have to go through a difficult separation with those things. Give us the strength and bravery to go through those things and cut them out of our lives. And help us to serve you in our response. And take joy in that service and realize that that service and that life is a joy. And it's so rewarding. Because we forget that, Lord, that service can be enjoyable. And service for you is the most enjoyable thing. Because that's who we were created to be. In Jesus' name, amen.